0: If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to open God's word together uh, to Genesis 17 and 18. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this place that you've provided that we can gather together as your people. We thank you, uh, just as we just sang, that we do need you. But we thank you that you've provided everything we need. Uh, We ask that as we open your word together today that you would move freely in this place. We pray that the Holy Spirit would move and teach and guide us that you would uh, instruct us this morning, that you would encourage us. Uh, We thank you that you promised that. And so we just confess that we do need you. We can't do this without you. And so we ask that you would be our teacher this morning through your word, through your spirit, and it would be all for your honor and your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of Vivid memories as a child and then in high school and even like college age of laughing really, really hard to the point of like tears. I don't know if you've ever had that where you just get so tickled with something and you start laughing. And a lot of times it's not even really all that funny, but it's like you just kind of get going and then you can't control it anymore and it's just a mess. I, I think of different times where that's happened oftentimes with my brothers and sister and our family. Uh, With my brother Jed in particular, I remember uh, going to different places with him and having that happen in those moments where it's just you're laughing hysterically. I remember being in a movie theater once. We were watching a movie together, and we were both laughing so hard for, for a long time, like tears, like rolling, laughing. The bad part, it was not a comedy, and we were the only ones laughing. And everybody around us was getting really frustrated at this really serious movie, and we just could not stop laughing. And so years later, we actually bought the movie, and we'd watch it over and over and laugh at the same parts over and over again. It's actually Sling Blade. If you've ever seen Sling Blade, not a funny movie at all, but it was really funny to us. And so we laughed all the time at that movie really, really hard. Uh, and I can think of different times like that. Uh, I remember being in New York City in a sporting goods store. And my youngest brother, Jeremiah, was trying on women's spandex that were sized small on a dare from his older brothers. And that was really, really funny, too. And so if I think about those things, I could even start laughing now as I, as I think about it. But the truth is, I have a lot of those memories like that, especially as a kid and at different times. Maybe you do, where you just get into that kind of where you're laughing about different things. And I was reading this week, uh, G.K. Chesterton talks about this idea of children and laughing when we're younger and having this joy and having this thing where we just laugh at a lot of things. And what he says or what he kind of hypothesizes with is he says that the reason we do is as children, we have this sense of wonder that we just get overwhelmed, that that we can be taken up with everything around us and everything is great and kind of funny and and we can easily get into that. And so what he says, though, is as we get older And as the reality of life and struggles and real things that come into our life start to creep in, that gets harder and harder. And so what Chesterton said is a lot of times we end up losing our sense of wonder as we get older. And it makes it harder to have those moments and to laugh so freely and to be like that. I think that's a truth that a lot of us know or feel at different times in our life. In fact, just last this past year, there was a song On the pop charts, it was one of the the most popular songs of the year, and it it had these words in it For, for months. It was like number one or number two song, and it said, I was told that when I get older, all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when Mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. And that was the name of the song, Stressed Out, and it became this really popular song. And what they were saying in it was what I think a lot of people feel, the truth of that at different times. Maybe you can relate to that. There were different times in your life. Or maybe you're in one of those times right now where things are simpler and easier and laughter comes easier. Or maybe you're in the middle of a time where it's much more difficult, where you are stressed out. Or maybe you don't even realize it. You know, for me, I get a constant reminder when you're around your children, the difference of kind of their carefree versus the way we often act and go through life. Uh, for me, I get a reminder almost every Thursday night with my youngest, with my five-year-old Quinn uh, up until just a couple of weeks ago uh, when the boys were in school, except Quinn is not in school yet. He just turned five this year. And so Thursday night, Fridays is my day off. So Thursday night, tucking Quinn into bed would be uh, What's tomorrow? And come and say, it's Friday. Like his face would get all excited. And I'd go, well, what are we going to do tomorrow? And he'd just get all giddy and start kind of giggling and laughing and so excited. And the things that we were going to do on Friday, usually would he would say, uh, we're going to eat donuts. And then we're going to wrestle in the living room. And we're going to go swimming. And that was like the things that made him so excited that that's kind of the way we are as children. We have that wonder that eating donuts and wrestling in the living room are so exciting that you can barely contain your excitement. But over the years, oftentimes the reality of life can set in and we lose some of that wonder. And so all that to say, we're going to go back to Genesis this morning. And we're going to look at those chapters, uh, those verses that Dennis read to us just a second ago in 17 and 18, and then look at 21. And what we see in this is this promise that God has given to Abraham and his family. And we've talked about this going through Genesis. This promise is in response to man's sinfulness that enters in Genesis chapter three. And so if you've been with us as we've been going all the way through Genesis, what we've seen is that God creates all things. He makes us to be in relationship with him. We're to center around him and we decide to ignore him in the world he created. And it causes all kinds of issues and all sorts of problems. But God, in the midst of that rebellion right there in Genesis three, makes this promise. He says, I'm going to fix the issue by through your seed. And he makes that promise first to Eve. And then we pick it up in Genesis 12, again in 15, here in 17. God continues to reiterate that promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. If you were with us two weeks ago in Genesis 12, what we said is the promise of the Abrahamic covenant is actually Jesus. That's the promise of the seed that's going to come through this promise that God's talking about. And he keeps telling Abraham that this is going to happen. I'm going to bless the world through you. You're going to become a great nation and all these descendants. But I'm going to bless the world through your seed. But what we can miss oftentimes when we open up our Bible and read Genesis 12 to, say, 20. And we can read through that in a few short minutes and forget that what has happened is as God gave that promise in Genesis 12 to Genesis 17, it's now been 25 years. God gave that promise to Abraham when he was 75 and his wife, Sarah, was 65. She was 65 years old and had been barren her entire life and never had children. And God makes this promise. I'm going to bless you with descendants as numerous as the stars. And then 25 years goes by. Now, Abraham is 100 and Sarah's 90. And God shows up again. He says, I'm still going to do this thing. And you go, what in the world? What we can miss oftentimes is the frustration and the struggle that comes in in those 25 years of waiting. And so that's what I want us to think about this morning. First, the problem that's here and the struggles that come with that problem in the midst of that. And then secondly, what does God do and what does he say in the midst of this struggle they have? And then lastly, what's the outcome? And so let's just start there at the beginning. What's the problem here that we see? And so the problem is simply that God has promised this child to Abraham and Sarah, and they don't have a child. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, what we've seen is Abraham would say to God, well, is it going to be Eliezer who was his servant, his right hand man, his guy? He's like, is that the one that you're going to bless? Is he going to be my seed, so to speak? And God says, no, it's actually going to be your child. And then we saw last week that they hear that and they take into their own hands and decide to have a child with Hagar, which is Sarah's maidservant. OK, it's going to be through my actual seed, so we'll have a baby with her. And God says, no, that's not it. That's not how this is going to work. And so you get into this chapter in this picture and God shows up again. And so look at what he says there in chapter 17 and then pick up in uh, verse 16. And so he says, I will bless her talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And so what Abraham says is God tells him this is he goes, what are you talking about? Right? He laughs. And it's not a laugh of joy. It's not a laugh of possibility. It's not the laugh of a small child. It's the laugh of cynicism. And so what we see here is, is God has promised this. But in 25 years of waiting, Abraham's grown cynical, at least to a degree. He goes, what in the world? Are you serious? Right? Have, have you ever had those uh, those moments where you're really frustrated with something and somebody tells you and you just laugh at them? You know, yeah, right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> Have you ever had that before? Right. Like when you when someone tells you that and you just kind of brush it off, you let your cynicism get the better of you and you just go. No. And that's exactly what happens here with Abraham. As God tells him, he falls on the ground and he falls on his face and he laughs. He goes, I'm 100 years old and she's 90. How in the world is that going to happen? And so the first thing I want you to see, the problem here of not having the child yet. Of this waiting, the problem that comes up or starts to manifest itself here is that when struggles come into our life, when circumstances press in on us, it's easier to now uh, let circumstances define the truth rather than what God says. And that's exactly what they do here. They survey it and they go, We've been waiting 25 years. She's been barren for 90 years now. There's no way. Can't happen. And they laugh about it. They laugh about that's. There's no way this can happen. And so I just want to ask as we walk, work our way through this passage, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever seen things that God clearly tells you and you survey your circumstances and you go, no way. Or maybe you go, yeah, I kind of believe them," But deep down, you're going, yeah, I don't see how this is going to work. And that's exactly what Abraham does in his frustration, in his cynicism. He laughs. And so the first problem here is we let circumstances cloud out or choke out the promises of God, what he clearly tells us. But then the second thing I want you to see is he comes back again to tell them again. So notice in chapter 17, God shows up. He tells Abraham, no, no, no. It's actually going to be from Sarah. And then chapter 18, he shows up again and he comes to the door. It says there's three men and they welcome him in. And then we, we realize that God is there in their midst and he's talking to them. and he comes. And this time, what I want you to notice is I think what God is doing is he shows up this next time is he's going to talk about Sarah again. But I think he's really addressing Sarah this time. Notice the difference. Look at verse nine and they show up and they said to him, to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And so she laughed to herself and said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. And so I want you just to look the second problem here. Sarah actually responds in the exact same way that Abraham does. She she laughs. It's the same laugh that Abraham laughs. It's not a laugh of possibility. It's a laugh of, yeah, right. This is not going to happen. She says she laughs to herself and she says, I'm so old. How is that going to happen? And she kind of says the same thing. But there's something else with Sarah's reaction here. A second problem that you're kind of starting to see there as well. So circumstances cloud in and make God's promises seem improbable or in this case impossible. But there's something else that Sarah says that kind of reveals her heart a little bit here. She says there in verse 12, she says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She says, after I'm worn out. And the word there for worn out that she actually uses means useless. She says, actually, now that I'm useless, you tell me that you're going to use me in this way. Right? I'm useless now. I can't actually have children. And you're telling me that this is what's going to happen. It's literally what she says. And so because of her circumstances, she starts to now believe lies about herself. I'm useless. God can't use me now. I'm so old and I'm so worn out. He can't use me in this way. And so she falls into defining herself by her performance instead of listening to what God says about who she is and what he's going to do and the ways he's going to use her. She lets her circumstances define the way that is. And so I would ask you again, as we think about that, do you ever do do you ever do that? Do you ever let the circumstances in your life and the things swirling around you define who you are? Maybe you like Sarah and you go, I'm too old. God's not going to use me. I'm too old for that. Or maybe it has nothing to do with age or maybe you say I'm too young. I'm too young. God can't use me in that way. Or, or, or maybe it's something more like I've made a whole lot of mistakes And I've had a whole lot of past sins and you don't know what I've done. And so for you to say God's going to use me in that way, I I don't think so. Or maybe it runs deeper than that. Maybe somebody in your life has told you your entire life that you're useless. And we allow those circumstances around us to begin to define who we are. And the way we see things and instead of letting God define who we are and what's going to happen and the way that's going to work, we allow those external things to define us. And so we have circumstances that are clouding out uh, the promises of God, but then believing these lies. And that's what I think Sarah begins to do. I'm useless. You got to be kidding. There's no way this is going to work. And so you see Sarah and she laughs the same cynical laugh that Abraham laughs. And so you see the problem here, allowing your circumstances to cloud out God's promises, but then believing lies about what God can do through you and who you are in him. And So I want you to notice what God says and how he addresses it. What does God do here to answer the problem? And I would say Sarah desperately needs to hear what God's going to say. But I would venture to guess that we need to hear what he's going to say, too. If we believe this is God's living and active and life giving word that's for us today, just as it was for them. What God says is just as vitally relevant for us. And so listen to what he says. So she says, I'm too old. I'm worn out. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And so I want you to think about what God says here first. The first thing he says is he looks at the circumstances, and he surveys the way she looks at it and the way she answers. And he says, is there anything too hard for me? Think about in light of everything we've looked at in Genesis. Just a few months ago, we were in Genesis 1. And we read all about the God of the universe who creates the world by speaking it into existence. And we say, well, God can't work in this. Not in these circumstances. Not in this way. And God says, is there anything too hard for me? You've forgotten who you're dealing with. When we start to talk that way. When we start to believe lies about it, when we begin to function in unbelief, God steps in and goes, Do you know who you're dealing with? Is anything too hard for me? There's actually a really neat kind of twist in what he says. If you have an ESV or you're following along in the Bible, they even put the footnote on the word there where it says, Is anything too hard for me? It literally means, Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? That's what it says. Is anything too wonderful? When we begin to lose our wonder because of the circumstances of life and we turn to cynical laughter instead of trusting God. God says, is there any situation that I can't bring wonder into? Is there any time that darkness is too dark that my light won't shine into that and change things? He says, you've forgotten who you're talking to. And so we all do this at different times. I was thinking about this this week. If, if my hand are all my problems, all the things that stress me out, that cloud my judgment, that begin to obscure the promises of God. If my hand is representing all those things, what happens when I take my hand and I put it right here and I focus on those? And then if I look outside at the 60, 70 foot tree and I put my hand in front of it, what do I see? Or what does my perspective show? That my hand's a whole lot bigger than that tree is. Correct? It's easy to begin to think that way. When you leave today, if you feel the stress of those things, and when you leave today, I want you to take your hand and walk by that tree. You'll walk by it on the way to your car and put your hand against that tree. What happens when you change your perspective? When you see who God is, he says, you've you've forgotten who you're dealing with. Your problem that's right here that's overwhelming you, if you will place it in my hands, look at what happens. Uh, that's who God is, the God who speaks all things into creation. So the first thing he says to her, is there anything that I can't do? If I tell you something, can I not do that? And so that's the first thing he says. But then the second thing I want you to see is a little more subtle, but it's just as important. important. When she says here in verse 13, Sarah says, shall I indeed bear a child? And or, or she says, I'm sorry, verse 12. Uh, she laughs and says, after I am worn out, after I'm useless, you're going to tell me this is going to happen. But then look at what God says in verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? I want you to notice the difference between what she says And what God says is, He repeats back her objection to her. Something very different there. She says, I'm useless. I'm all worn out. God's going to use me. And then what does God say? He says, Why did she say that? Why did she laugh and say, Indeed, I can't bear a child now that I'm old? Notice what God doesn't repeat back to her. He doesn't say, You're useless. She sees it this way in the midst of her circumstances. And God looks at it and he says, is there anything too wonderful for me? And why did you say you're too old? He doesn't say you're useless. He doesn't say you're worn out. He doesn't say that that's the case. And in fact, he doesn't repeat back her negative assessment of herself because that's not the way God sees her. Because there's nothing I can't do here. And so we begin to believe lies About who we are and what God can do through us and what that looks like. But thankfully, we're not defined by how we see ourselves, but we're defined by how God sees us. It's not how you see it, it's how God sees it. I debated on whether to say this or not, but as I studied this this week, and I read that over and over and over, And I've been praying all week that I would see God more clearly. And I read that, and He spoke to me so clearly. It's not how you see you, it's how I see you. And I wept tears of joy for 30 minutes in my office because I couldn't stop. He's that real. It's not words on a page. It's not an old book. The God of the universe says that. He's speaking to you today through his living and active word. It's not how you define yourself. It's what I say. It's not what you think can happen. It's what I'm going to do. And he does that. And that's what he does here with Sarah. And he tells her. He restates it. You think you're too old? Is anything too wonderful for me? But then there's a third thing I want you to see here that God does. The difference that happens in Sarah's life here. I think when we get to chapter 18, it's still about the promise. It's still about what God's going to do. But it also God's speaking to Sarah. Chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, God tells of this promise three different times. And he's always speaking to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to do this. M- take your family and move. Abraham, come with me. The covenant that he gives in chapter 15. 17, he shows up and he says, Hey, it's going to be your wife. But then in chapter 18, he shows up and he says, Where's Sarah? She's right over there. And he says, I'm going to do this thing through Sarah. Even though she's been barren her entire life, I'm going to do this thing right now through Sarah. What changes for Sarah's relationship with God from the times before until now? Every other time she was hearing of the promise from Abraham going, listen to what God told me, which God's still speaking and that's still valid and that's still true. But you get to chapter 18 and suddenly Sarah hears the word of the Lord. And she laughs and he goes, what are you laughing about? Is anything too wonderful for me? And you see Sarah go from a second hand relationship, hearing about God from other people to entering into a relationship with the living active God of the universe. And he says, is there anything too wonderful for me? Is there anything that I can't do here? And Sarah goes from hearing about the promises of God to seeing them directly from God himself telling her. And so I want you to think about the picture that's here. We let circumstances crowd out. We begin to not uh, trust what God's told us. We believe because of our feelings and what's going on lies about ourselves. And God comes in and he says, I'm bigger than that. Is anything too hard for me? It's not how you see yourself. It's how I see you. And then it all begins to turn because she has a relationship with God firsthand and seeing him. And so the picture we see here is this promise that God's giving to her. To Abraham, the seed of the promise. We've already talked about this. It's Jesus. That's the ultimate blessing that's there. That's where this is going to end. And he says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to bring it to fulfillment. But when we grow cynical to the promises of God and we allow our circumstances to define us and to crowd in on us, how do we get past that? How do we get past it? You can read this passage and say, That's great. God shows up and He speaks directly to her and He tells her and He reassures her. I wish He would do that. Well, he has, thankfully, graciously, wonderfully, God's done that. God entered into time and space into this story, the fulfillment of this promise, and He lived the life that we couldn't live, and He died the death that we deserved, and then He says. Uh, he pours out his love into us through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. You know, we can read it and we can go, yeah, but God spoke to Abraham and he spoke to Sarah and he was there and he was telling them and he was talking to him. Do you know what Jesus says about that? Jesus comes and the night before he dies, he says, up until this time been working in this way, it's about to get way better. In fact, Jesus would tell people, Abraham longed to see what you see. Yeah, God spoke to him, but now God comes and pours his love into us through his Holy Spirit right here and now. We have this relationship with him. We can have the intimate one-on-one relationship with him that overcomes circumstances and fears and doubts and everything else. And he promises that. We have it better now than even Abraham had it. And that takes me to the last thing. What happens when that happens? What happens in our life when we have that firsthand relationship with him? And so look at what happens in chapter 21. And the Lord visited Sarah. And he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old and God commanded him. You know, God has a sense of humor because Isaac means laughter. Remember when you guys laughed when I told you you're going to have a baby? Why don't you name him laughter? Verse six. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Not the laughter of cynicism anymore. Not the laughter that goes, yeah, right. Not the nervous laughter that's a defense mechanism to hide your true feelings about what's going on. This is the laughter of joy. This is the laughter of this is the God of promises that does what he says he's going to do. And then he brings it to fruition. And the same is true for us and the same is available for us. When the cynicism of life and the struggles of the circumstances that press in on you and they begin to obscure the promises of God, God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And he gives us this promise. He says, you come to me and you make your life center on me and I will take care of you in spite of everything else. Now, it's easy to read this and to twist it and go, hey, if you just have enough faith and you just wait long enough, everything will work out perfectly. But that's not the promise God gives us. He says that even when your circumstances are not what you thought and even when those things are swirling around you, you can still have the fullness of joy. You can still have this wonder. You can still have this laughter in the midst of everything else because of what Christ has done for us. And so don't take this to go, well, that means everything will always be perfect from here on out. Because I'm not going to lie to you. They won't. But here's the good news. You can have the firsthand relationship with the God of the universe, and he will keep you in all things. And so as we end, just hear what Jesus says, and then we'll pray. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of your promises. We thank you for your graciousness to us in our own lives. We thank you for the story of your graciousness to Sarah. And the way that you keep your promises. And the way that you bring them to fruition. We thank you. The end of our story is much like Sarah's that we will see the fruition of all your promises when you return. And for that, we say thank you. We pray that in this time that you've given us, that we would walk closely with you, trusting you over the circumstances that we see, trusting you over the lies that we can creep in and we can begin to believe about ourselves, but that we would define ourselves by what you said, that we are your beloved children because of what you've done for us. And for that, we can only say thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.